was the J-Cut, and this is the K-Cut, a movie podcast for movie nerds. This is Andreas Babilakis. I am the main editor and one of the main writers for Films Fatale, a film editorial website, masterclass lessons, interviews, lists, all sorts of good stuff. I just put up my top 100 film directors of all time with some of my favorite current directors, um, old school directors, experimental directors. It's a list of almost 150, so check it out. Who else do I have with me? James here. You all know me, content creator from Michigan. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I am one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast, and eventually I'll be a writer for Films Fatale, but I just haven't had time for that yet. I'm Rachel. I have also joined the Films Fatale Club. I write a column on world cinema there, and once we're done with all this Oscar stuff, I'm going to be starting another exciting new series. So look out for that. I know what it is, and it's very, very cool stuff. I don't see a lot of this type of stuff being written about, so please look forward to it. I'm going to keep it a surprise, as, as Rachel intends, I'm sure. But another surprise that we have is we have only 17 episodes in, 18 episodes in, rather. We have our very first guest all the way from Florida. We have an English PhD, so we got to call him doctor. We've got Dr. Tom Bethelacqua, who's going to be talking to us about some amazing cinephile related stuff so welcome you're our first guest uh, i'm i'm honored i almost i don't feel up to this this honor but uh it is a pleasure to be here with you all and uh to talk a little bit about uh film always a good time yeah welcome aboard and uh let's just get a little bit more information about you about your cinephilia we're gonna get into some of your favorite stuff in a second but like maybe in in like a short blurb like how did you become a cinephile? Was that something you always were? Your parents bring you to movies, or is that something you discovered on your own? Huh. That's a you know that's a good question. I guess it was something my parents uh, kind of brought me into. I remember when I was. You know, kind of at that age when you could start watching more adult movies, but maybe you couldn't. My mom was always like, oh, no, you can go ahead and watch it. You know, she had called ahead to the place where I could rent again to date myself where you could rent videos and be like, no, he he can rent an R rated movie like that's not a problem. And so it started, uh, you know, there in my youth. And then, you know, as uh, I got into more, you know, academic study and in a lot, of, you know, in as was the case in uh, our English department, uh, you have film in the English departments. And so as I got into my, you know, graduate study, I started to become interested in the idea of talking about film like I would talk about literature. So that really kind of, uh, you know, ex accelerated my interest a little bit. That's actually a fascinating topic. I've always, for the last number of years, compared films with, with, with literature, and I think there are a lot of parallels. We'll definitely get into that discussion another day. Maybe even an article I could bring you back for another interview because yeah. I think there are so many parallels. But for now, everybody wants to know your top five favorite films. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a cinephile, we got to know your faves. So what are your faves? Oh, boy. All right. So uh, I, I, I this question is always difficult because there's the is it your favorite films or is it the best films or what you think is the best? I like objective. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of walk the line between the two. Um, so uh, and then. They're going to be pretty. I feel like they're pretty predictable. Uh, my my favorite film of all is Goodfellas. Um, Martin Scorsese is my is the you know if you talked about the list of directors, he is number one on my list. I think he is the you know great. He's the greatest director uh, 
in the mm-hmm. history of film, or I would make that argument. Uh, and then you have The Godfather, Seventh Seal, uh, Singing in the Rain, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that is a stacked top five. I, I felt compelled to throw in some honorable honorable mentions to Before Sunset, uh, Altman's The Long Goodbye, Sunset Boulevard, and Pickpocket. That is like even at Brisson in there. That is such a stacked list. I like thank you for 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 being on board. You're like the perfect guest to have on. <laughs> like so, um, you know, you brought in some some peculiar names like like Pickpocket and Seventh Seal, which to a lot of people would be like their first film, where it's like, oh my goodness, what is this? And this is just so anti what I've seen before. And that's a great segue into what we're actually watching today. It's like the unconventional side of cinema. So we've discussed before in this podcast, okay, there are these movies which changed film for us in a myriad of ways, whether it's experiences or uh, fine-tuning our taste. But I I chose this topic this week, and I wanted to get into something a little bit different. I feel like us, like the we kind of cinephiles who would pick – like Pickpocket or other Brisson films or a lot of our other favorites, like, like what James likes, what Rachel likes, what I like, we had to come across some really difficult subject matter. So like really challenging art films or provocative, difficult cinema. So there are movies like the matrix that can shape how you feel about action or like the movie going to experience, but I'm not talking about the matrix. I'm talking about things which are like harrowing or just so unorthodox where you were like, what am I watching? I will never view cinema the same way again. So that's the topic this week. The the film or whatever films affected us the most on a challenging level, especially because it went against everything that we might have known. And I'm excited to get right into this. So to set the tone, Rachel, what is your pick? Okay, so mine took a bit of a deviation from the topic, but it was about a film that challenged me on a personal level rather than subject matter. Okay. I have always been a gregarious person. Uh, no shock there. And I've always been constantly craving action. I've always, if I'm not doing something, I'm very, very directionless. Okay. When I was in my first year of university, it was 2010, I guess. Or, yeah, 2010. I saw for the first time The Piano, which is an amazing movie. Uh, Have you seen it, Tom? Uh, I yeah I I have not um, yeah it's funny there was something I was looking at that made a reference to it but it is definitely it is not one that I have seen sadly. Well, I highly recommend it, and it is this film about a woman going to from Scotland I think to New Zealand in the eighteen forties. Mm-hmm. She's mute, and the film's all about communication and about withholding communication and how she expresses herself while being mute. And it's a beautiful film. I wanted to live in it. And for the first time ever, when that movie was done, I went back home, I sat on my bed, and I sat in silence for hours. And I even missed dinner, I think, because I just wanted to live in the world of that film, and I wanted to embrace the silence. So what this movie taught me was how to take on peace, really. And a few weeks ago, it popped up on Facebook, you know, those memories that they have on Facebook. And it said, I guess, 11 years ago now, Rachel Crawley has finally started to learn the value of silence. And I'm like, I know exactly what that was. I found the the piano piano. and it taught me how to sit in quiet. 
Oh God, I we've talked about this on the pod before, and I know James has had to deal with it twice now. Um, I adore the piano. It's one of my favorite films of the '90s. It's a feminist masterpiece by Jane Campion. Phenomenal. It's not even just the uh, the art of communication. It's also a huge statement on how women are devalued mm-hmm. in in uh, in marital settings. You know, domestically, how they're viewed as like housewives and like childbearers and. How she takes on her own power, even though she can't do that in the conventional way. Yeah, and I think this is an interesting pick that you have selected. Uh, just a quick shout out, Holly Hunter, one of the top five performances ever. I've got to bring that up every time I talk about the piano. Um, it's interesting you bring up this one because in general, it's not the most challenging film. But if you're into like period pieces or... Mm-hmm. Oscar Beatty stuff. This is totally something that'll be on your radar. And then you watch it and it does take some deviations out of your comfort zone. So yeah. Oh, some scenes are really hard to watch, but exactly. So I feel like for a lot of the movie going public, this is a challenging film, even though it's not considered one in the grand oeuvre of things. Well, it is enormous amounts of violence or a ton of nudity or really, awful viewpoints but i do think that it challenges you to look at the world in a different way absolutely and i would i would say like even like some of the more daring things that jane campion's willing to do um again they go against the cookie cutter formula so you might get into the film because it's like oh i want a period piece you know with a love triangle okay this is interesting Mm -hmm. and then you get something completely different where it's like okay wow that that just completely went off track which i love exactly Perfect. So, uh, I mean, again, um, this is uh, this this is a very um, academic thing to do to talk about something that you haven't seen or read or whatever. So, but I'm going <laughs> yeah, to I'm going to try to do this anyways. I think that you know, talking about that that those sorts of things are challenge can be challenging or change the way you think in a way that maybe you don't you don't ever you don't expect uh, mm-hmm. or isn't 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 um yeah it just doesn't it doesn't, doesn't not yet yeah, it doesn't, isn't what comes to mind and you're talking about the you know other maybe other films that would pr- be challenging in a more um i don't know like upfront in your face what why you know what i pick whatever way you want to put it but i think that those sorts of things you know and not to kind of to go back to that the list that or the list and i brought up you know pickpocket by brisson and i think um mouchette too is another uh film oh, that's so difficult yeah and like and it's that same thing where it's like it's difficult but it's not in this what like there's certainly you know um trying to think of like something where it's like vi really vi- like a um I don't know, for some reason, again, Scorsese is always on my mind, something like Cape Fear, or, you know, that's just like, this is kind of this awful, like, kind of violent, scary thing. You're like, okay, that's challenging in a way you expect, but yeah, something like Muschetta or something like the, the piano, like, it's it's because it, it's, there's this... Um, it's I, like know, an unexpected, like, in this type of a genre, you just don't expect it. Yeah, like... It, yeah, and I think, and I think it comes back to that. I, you know, the being in the silence and the and and like that is almost something that can be more challenging, and yet we don't think it is or wouldn't expect it to be. Okay, so I'm, with you having said that, I'm really curious to know what you, as our first guest, selected for you know the the first challenging film that that really affected like how you felt about cinema because you know you're bringing up stuff like like Bresson's Mouchette and 
God knows what else. I can only imagine what your initial um, initial taste of challenge was in cinema. This is so great um, because, you know, I, I was really drawn into this question. I was kind of drawn to, and when you first posed it to me, the sort of the when you when you were younger, it was sort of this, well, um, you know, like uh, when you were like 13 or something. And so like, for some reason, that was the headspace I was really in. And so the film that I came up with and I, it, 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 it it's, it's not, I don't know, the, the cinematic pedigree of it is perhaps not as great. And it's also, I guess some of it, I mean, there is a way in which I think I could think about cinema and I think about any number of things it relates. Um, it's Batman Returns. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably, like I said, a little odd. Um, but I watched it, you know, when I was, I figured I was like eight or nine. Again, for like, just for some reason, uh, I was able to to watch this when I was young. Because you're like, oh, it's a Batman movie. And I'm a kid. And I like Batman. And da 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 But like, it re- at, like going back and sort of thinking about it now and maybe realizing what happened almost in a subconscious way uh, and how this affected me because you have, it's this, if you've, uh, you know, I, it's not like a sidebar. I think the 1989 Batman is one of the, it's like the best or one of the best uh, Batman superhero films, whatever. But if you go back, it's been a while since you've watched Batman returns. It's not, you know, it's, it's very weird and it's not, you know, great, but there's some like stuff that stands out about it, and there, it's so profoundly it's, it's mm-hmm. grotesque. Like there's there's um, you know the, the, there's a vi- I mean there's you know there's a violence to it, but also just you know you think of the Danny DeVito as the you know he's the penguin, but it's this like grunting like just you know eating raw fish and like this this just very kind of. Gr- grotesque uh figure and you know you're watching that and it's you know an eater and you're just like this is like a a monster like this is actually a monster uh but and this is the segue to another way in which it really did 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 challenge me and it uh, this is where i think maybe going forward it did have an effect on how you know if maybe not in terms of like content wise maybe not in terms of you know like how the the film the craft of it but it gives such sympathy to what we would call you know especially in a superhero comic book whatever you know whatever we would pick film uh there's a certain sympathy for the villains uh you know i just mentioned this this dad penguin danny DeVito character like it's there's this tremendous sadness to it like he's you know this freak not surprising sort of in the, the tim burton mode but like he's this deformed baby and they throw his parents throw him in the river and you know there's all this like there's this tremendous sadness to it in this character where it's not just oh he's this bad guy and you want to see the good guy win and da 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 like you do he's this monster but also you know it's very you know you know but also he you feel this kind of sympathy and sadness about him and then you the other you know and this is maybe what it's most famous for sort of notorious for you have the character of and how Catwoman is portrayed, you know, she's in the full leather suit and it's very, you know, a dominate, you know, she got the whip. It's this dominatrix and this kind of dominating uh, female character. Uh, and I, you know, you, that's something that, you know, you're 
is, is, is a lot to take in when you're, you know, eight and nine. And then again, I, why I mentioned going back and watching it after X number of years uh, since I'd seen it before is you, and you listen to the dialogue and you're like, there is so much like, I mean, it's kind of terrible double entendres and references to things that are like vaguely sexual and so on and so forth. But like, it's there and you're just, I'm just like, as a, again, I'm, I'm not understanding it when I'm a kid, but I'm sure like somehow in my brain, it's like, picking up on it on you know sub- something is wrong like i don't know what this is but something something's yeah. off yeah and, and it's you know and it's funny i to it's kind of like i think about this uh with a to kind of cross mediums i had always had a i never understood why you know i li- listening to when i was a little younger i was listening to space oddity by david bowie and i and that song i was always like this made me this makes me song makes me feel sad and i it it like it is but like if you're just getting it at like the surface level and you're just kind of listening it's like okay like it doesn't make like why is why do i find this so affecting and then at some point i realized like oh it's not just this is about like an this is about like like existential loneliness again the 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 brisson and the scorsese is a tip that like i'd be i would be interested in this stuff but i realized oh i was just soaking up that you know sadness about this this you know astronaut who's getting lost in space but it's really like, like a about suicide mission feelings almost. that yeah and like it's stuff that's like in your mind but like when you're first you want at whatever age you don't realize it but like you just i that just made me think of something when it's like you know something is off and it's where it's like well this isn't just that it's i guess in in a way we could think about how it makes me think about you know cinema it's like where this isn't just what it's like representing there are more you know ideas more things being explored and i think again like you know maybe it's not not in the most subtle way and not in the most um articulate artistic way but i do think that batman returns strangely enough kind of did that was the you know kind of the the one that got in on the ground floor there obviously are other films that you know, I want and like are very important to me that I came to at certain points in my life. But when I think about something that like really was just kind of had an effect on me, uh, in, in again, in a strange way, and despite all of this like cinephile criterion collection channel subscribing posturing, it's like, yeah, it's this superhero movie directed by Tim Burton that really kind of did something, did something to my well, mind. I think for the first time in a while, have we all seen Batman Returns? I feel like that's one that we might have. I saw. I managed to avoid it despite being alive in the 90s. Oh, okay. So uh, Rachel hasn't. James, he saw it ages ago. Uh, To me, I feel like this is the one that Tim Burton wanted to make initially. You know, he had uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse or or Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's what it's called. And then he had uh, Batman. And then it's like, oh, cool. I have free reign. I want to make the movie I actually wanted to make. Well, bam. And obviously he lost his, he lost his, uh, his hand in making those movies. Cause they're like, we don't want you touching this series ever again. So yeah, you just, you want, and it's like, again, it's like this, it's just, even if you grant that, you know, Batman is the dark, the brooding, like all of these things, like, again, I'm just watching it and it's, you're just like, oh my God. And like, again, like you're like, my, my, I mean, she was, you know, like, oh yeah, it's Batman. Go ahead, you know, you can watch the video. There was one part where uh, the one part she made me like never, I could never watch is the penguin. He bites someone's nose and blood 
gushes out of it. And that was the only thing where my mom's like, no, 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 don't watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then everything, and I'm just like, now I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, like again, she was like, Catwoman's out there being like, basically like a dominatrix. And the penguin is this, like, on the one hand, this like monstrous grunting disgusting vile figure but also this like you know this this abandoned uh, person or you know and like he's looking for his parents and they're dead and he, they go to the cemetery and there's all this stuff and it's just like wh- what like again it was just like this stuff that like a eight or nine year old's brain it just couldn't couldn't comprehend well, um, I, I do think that's an interesting approach to this topic because, you know, we're thinking maybe more as adolescents and whatnot, but that that is good where it's like, you know, when you're a kid, that still is very challenging. That still is like against everything that you know. It's, even if you saw the first Batman, it's not quite the same. It's it's a lot gorier. It's a lot more dark, almost like Frank, like Francis Bacon-y. And um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more of a sign of what Tim Burton would like to be have become instead of like stuck with doing children's films, which is what he was doing at first. So, um, James, I feel like you're going to have a much different approach with what you selected, correct? Yeah, it's actually a film that I had mentioned before pre- on a previous episode. And this is a film that I watched when I was probably nine or ten. Oh, so you were also young. Okay. Yes, and... I don't know why I was someone this young watching this movie, but it's the movie Cube. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I brought this up before. I brought this up before. (laughs) And it's really interesting because I was like nine or 10 and I saw this movie and I absolutely loved it. I don't know why, but there's something about the concept that just drew me to it, which I, you know, as a kid, I didn't fully understand it. But it was all these themes of, you know, these people who are captured in their sleep and, you know, they wake up in this strange room and they find out it's they're inside of this structure that's booby trapped and they have to figure out how to get out. And then, you know, there's there's specific types of people in there and they all have to work together to try to figure things out. And yeah, it just really struck me as very interesting. And I don't know what it was like. My dad hated the movie because we both watched it. He hates it. And it's hilarious because I'll bring it up. He's like, oh, I couldn't stand that movie. But yeah, there was just something about it. And it was good foreshadowing to the kind of things that I would like in the future. Because, you know, I very appreciative of anything with something that's, you know, fairly dense and has layers and just different avenues that you can go down. Because, I mean, they kept everything vague during the movie. So that was one of the other things. It's like, you know, it's kind of like this big brother is watching you type of thing, but you don't know what's going on. Like, is it the government? Is it some private organization? I mean, you know, they do the reveal where one of the people were one of the designers on it, but turns out he was just a cog in a machine. He designed a part, passed the project off to the next person. You know, they had somebody who was a police officer, you know, there's really no telling why they put him in there. There was a college student. They had a character who was mentally disabled who ended up being actually the most useful person on the crew, which nobody saw coming. Yeah. Just all these things. It's also, it foreshadowed my level of smaller movies because it's essentially takes place in one room. I mean, granted there's multiple rooms in the structure, but it's really just interactions within, you know, this one cube structure. Mm -hmm. So just, just the big ideas that are presented with such a, if you look at it, it's kind of like a small thing, but there's so many things that come out of it. 
yeah, I don't know. I, I I was a weird kid. I would literally watch anything. And it was also a time where like, you know, we rented movies as a lot as that when I was a kid. So I literally would watch anything. And this one just I, stuck with me. So I remember when I was in a video store and I saw that they had a sequel, I was like instantly rented it. I was like, yep, I'm watching this. <laughs> I, I feel like because you brought up the, the limited setting, I feel like that's also probably helped re- like jumpstart your love of indies in general. Yeah, I've always appreciated the smaller budget and just the smaller scope films because I find that there's more creativity. If you have endless budget and resources, you can get kind of tone deaf and flat for the most part, if not utilized properly. But if you have something smaller, you're forced to just work with what you have. And I think that's where the really rewarding stories come from. Cube is a is a bit of a screwed up film. If, if uh, you know, Rachel or Tom, have you, have you seen it or I haven't. I also have not. <laughs> it's, oh, you guys definitely uh, got to check it out. It's very uh, how to, uh, grotesquely inventive, let's say. Does, is that accurate, James? <laughs> yeah. It's also it's interesting to see movies that kind of fall into the same vein. There's another movie called Circle that's really good that follows a oh, similar I've premise. I've that one. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's... It takes a similar concept, but it's a little bit it's a little bit bigger in scope. But, it, you know, the execution's a little bit more interesting. And then uh, what was it? That movie It was released on Netflix. The platform that kind of operates on a similar logic. Oh. But that that movie's a trip. Yeah, yeah the, the platform is really messed up. I remember Tiff premiered it. And uh, we have this thing at Tiff called Midnight Madness where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they show stuff. Yeah. Rachel knows all about it. Uh, for those who don't know, it's it's an absolute trip. Uh, you watch something at midnight. It's either like a really wonky movie or it's like a like a like a horror movie and that one the the people's choice of, of tiff that year the the, the platform because they're like what in the hell so people just go into like this crowded room they throw around like balloon animals uh beach balls they they get hyped they get drunk and they watch these movies so um that's that's for another pod though midnight madness big shout out um for mine though okay so i brought up this filmmaker before and how do how do i even begin to explain this um, okay. Usually I, I try to like build it up, but I'm just going to go right into it. Cause there's no other way to, to like, just get into this. Where does one start with winner Werner Fassbinder? Yes. And, uh, so you would think he has a whole, you know, filmography that's worth checking out. So there's a lot of inventive films like the, like bitter tears of Petra von Kant, uh, his opus, um, Ellie Fear Eats the Soul, according to some people, that's his opus. My personal favorite's World on a Wire, which I've actually recommended to you, James, for the smorgasbord for next month. That is correct. I don't know why. I was, I think in my early 20s or uh, late teens, I had seen some stuff. So I think even before this, I had seen a lot of challenging stuff, like um, a lot of world cinema. But for some reason, this sticks out of my mind. For some reason, I started out with Berlin Alexanderplatz, where if you don't know what that is, it's like, how long is like 16 hours? It's it's a long movie. It was shown on TV, split up into parts. And it's about, it takes place like, uh, it's got like World War II in mind. And it's, it, it has this, uh, this lead character who's been released from prison and uh, tried to reform as a person, but he keeps relapsing with, you know, his misogyny or with his uh, obsession with alcohol and, you know, his, his inner demons. 
So it's like, okay, this is a very interesting character study, and it's based on this 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 tome of a book, and that's why it's so long. Like it's one of those movies which really takes into account everything the book has to offer. I haven't read the book, but it just like reads as if it's like every single chapter, every single page has been accounted for. I mean, it's fifteen hours, it's sixteen, fifteen hours, right? So I'm like, okay, this is really good so far. And then the epilogue happens, which is the final part. And let me tell you, that's one of, to this day, it's one of the most harrowing things I've ever seen. So without spoiling too much, the epilogue is mostly figurative. And it's as if the lead character, whose name is escaping me right now, it's as if he didn't do well trying to reform himself. And now he has been sent to hell. And... Good Lord, seeing everything come back in a figurative sense. Uh, Fassbinder basically breaks the concept of time. It's been a very faithful period piece until now, but then now they're playing like Velvet Underground music, which obviously wouldn't have taken place in the 40s. Um, They're showing all of these different rooms and venues which didn't exist before. They're all like a dreamscape. It really is like hell seeing people being tortured and it's like this, this... unholy climax and it it takes 14 hours to build up to this two hour finale and good god i've only seen it once it's one of the most striking films i've seen of the 80s i cannot forget any of it and i've seen it over 10 years ago that is how that is how much it shook me up but all i knew is like no other filmmaker horror-based uh, dramatic based, thriller based, anybody, nobody has taken me to this mental place that Fassbinder has with this film. I need to check out more. And he's been in my top five ever since. Now, I, I'm guessing nobody here has seen the really long no. Berlin Alexander Platz. No, ne- uh, next time not. I want to devote myself uh, to a TV series, I'll pick that one. Yeah, I was going to say, usually, you know, uh, when you jump in with some, yeah, you might go with the, uh, you know, learning about a director or whatever. You start with the the, the, the more, I, though I, I don't know what the more consumable would be, but I'm guessing the 16 hour <laughs> one is, is, isn't is that. So like, that's, you know, that's a, that's a hell of a I, choice. I don't, I don't know what brought it on. I think, um, I used to be obsessed with lists. That's why I do my own. Um, I think it was Richard Corliss, rest in peace of time, who said like this is like the opus of a Fassbinder and I saw so many things about him because like uh, they had just discovered World on a Wire which was like lost for the longest time so it's like all these things bringing him back into the public eye and it's like this is the film I recommend by you know Richard Corliss that's the one he recommended so it's like okay I'll give it a shot and lo and behold it's long as hell so um but uh, this episode itself wasn't too long. So how how do you guys feel about tossing in maybe a rapid fire question each? Maybe we should say? each ask Tom one because he's new. Sure. Okay. How about we? Okay. Who wants to ask him a, a rapid fire question about being a cinephile? Like anything. <laughs> What's a movie that broke your heart? Huh. Um. Can you allow? Like in what way? you mean that made you feel devastated and sad and tragic at the end you had to like go in a corner for a little bit yeah oh, oh god oh you, you know one that just jumped jumped to mind uh the diving bell and the butterfly oh yes i've brought that on the pod before thank christ you've seen it thank you i love that film so much <laughs> it it did like it's so distru- di- you know destroy and uh, if 
it, it, I, I might even quit now. I'm like, well, did that break my heart? But I, st- I think it because it just, I just remember being like, f- just feeling this wave of this, yeah, like sadness and what you know, just crashing over me after. And it was, you know, again, I'm thinking of different ways to answer this question. We just kind of engaged with, and I'm thinking that one could be that you know too because that made me realize oh like this this affects your my mood as well and your 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 the feeling of it because i just kind of didn't process that it really could uh maybe do that until that point but it just it like and i it's a testament to how great of a film it is that it um it did like I could see how that was the intent and it meant everything was working correctly, but that doesn't mean, you know, it was a uh, pleasure, pleasurable viewing experience and one that I'm really sort of chomping at the bit to, um, to, uh, to revisit, you know, though another one that, uh, the, that comes to mind. And again, I'm just, just laying on the, the, the Scorsese uh, love here is, and you know, we were talking about this a little bit before, but uh, is, is silence, which was, I, I, you know, an amazing movie. The, the novel is amazing. It's interested in stuff I'm very interested in, but the, you know, uh, the sort of crushing w- the weight of it and the, the kind of the, the, the pain of it and the, the suffering and the question and just it, you know um, it just like, I think about again, how, what it like did to me and like, and it's a, it's a, you know, this, like I said, I was like, I think this is the, the, it's the, the Scorsese film that is the, now the one that the, you know, the jerks like me are going to be like, well, I really like that one is like this kind of like, you know, this intellectual flex, but it's also one where it's like, oh, I probably should rewatch that. But oh man, like, I don't know if I get such an undertaking. Yeah. Like, it's just like, again, like what it's going to do to, you know, the, your, your mood and your feeling and you're just like, no, like you're going to have this like sense of devastation uh, again, and like suffering and like wondering, like, you know, that we're living in this silence and if there is any if there is anything beyond that like uh yeah so that's a that's another one that that question uh, i might be able to answer with that uh shout out to silence it's a grossly underrated scorsese film i loved it myself um james if you have a question if not i i've got one i can i can uh toss in right now i've got one what's a movie that you love that everyone else hates Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Oh man, huh. um, like, like actually hates, not like underseen, like after hours or something, like something that people actually hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. huh? Um, man, that's a you got. You guys got good questions here. Um, this is yeah, this is true because I, I like I'm I feel like there's a lot of you know I'm like I'm you know. This this is going to be very strange. I'm going to put myself out on this limb. I don't it, like might be too strong, and maybe it's just fresh in my mind. But I didn't think Rise of Skywalker was as bad as everybody. That's a hot it take. Was. Oh, I hated um, it so much. It was okay. Like, oh man, exactly. Like exactly. Like that was the thing. I was like, it's fine. Like I, like yeah it's not empire strikes back it's not like you know i guess people would argue i mean i guess the, you know plenty of people didn't like last jedi either which was last kind of jedi was the best of the trilogy me, but yeah uh, i'd agree i'd agree with that too it's a cinephile star wars I, like, I, I was, 
<laughs> but like, yeah, like the, I just, I, you know, people just were really like going at, and I was just like, it's fine. Like, it, like, like, yeah, there's some stuff I didn't really, you know, eh, it was a little landed on thick and da, 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 da. But uh, yeah, no, I was just like, it's fine. And again, like, yeah, yeah. So I, for some reason, that's the question that, or the answer that comes to mind with that. Cause I'm trying to think of any other things that would answer that. And, you know, you could get it. I guess it's, if you're, you know, trafficking in these, the like again, the the in the realm of the Criterion Channel, if you say anything that's like moderately popular and enjoyable, but maybe doesn't get great reviews, but you you know you still enjoy it, like there's a whole bunch of stuff that's that's in there. But like, yeah, for some reason, I'm just like Rise of Skywalker, like not that bad. Like not again, like yeah, not Empire Strikes Back, but like fine, like enjoyable, whatever, but. Fair enough. Now I've got one which uh, I I hope isn't like too much of a, of a thinker. Um, everybody's got a different answer to this, and it's like one of my favorite things. To ask a cinephile. My personal answer: Charade. I'm sure somebody else would say Hot Fuzz. I'm sure somebody else would say, you know, in recent memory, Parasite. As a cinephile, what's your favorite genre bending movie? Oh man, that's another that's another good question. Um... Yeah, this is this is definitely this is definitely a uh, a thing. You, you actually, uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't know if this would count. I don't this this. Well, I guess it kind of would. I feel like all that jazz. It kind of is like it's it's some of the stuff is like it's like a musical kind it's of like a thing. Melodrama and then, you know, as well. it makes a bit of everything. Yeah. yeah and, yeah, and just like and like yeah, it's maybe like that. It's it's bending all these genres into one, and like and it's like a quasi biopic, but not because you know the the character who is ostensibly Fosse in that film dies, but obviously he doesn't. And so, I, yeah, I don't. Maybe that's why. Uh, wait, uh, I guess the uh, I mentioned. No, I'm an, I'm an I'm an idiot because I realized I mentioned one uh, in the sense it was on my honorable mentions and that's Altman's The Long Goodbye. Uh, that's that's a total you know bending of that the private eye uh, you know the Raymond Chandler story too because Elliot Gould is about as far from a you know a Humphrey Bogart kind of or Robert Mitchum as you can get he's this kind of you know slightly nebbish um, you know in this kind of quippy way but that in this way that's very different from maybe what we imagine uh of uh of uh, philip marlowe and uh i just i really enjoy it it's the one of you know of any of those adaptations of those films that uh really you know that i really kind of stuck with me and enjoyed and i think it's you know it's fascinating and it's fascinating how it kind of takes into uh, account the you know kind of changing realities and it sets it in a kind of that modern like late 60s early 70s moment but uh but yeah and yet you know it's it's both very different than a you know than the the you know the the source texts but it still is the the same you know same story too and i guess you could throw as like a pro uh, an addition to that something like big lebowski which is you know obviously is taking that 
story and it just like is really making the kind of explicit the like engagement with counter cult the counterculture and so on and so forth but yeah i guess i guess you know after all of that the 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 direct answer was there and it, it shouldn't have taken that long because it's the altman's the long goodbye because that's you know like i say it's on my honorable mentions of my favorite films of all time which is sad because that's the only movie you've brought up today that i've actually not seen yet so i will have to make a point of doing so it's it's really good like it's it's really good it's uh elliot gold's great uh, uh starling hayden's in it and he's just on one uh it's it's really good it's one i cannot recommend highly enough again it, it colors a lot of how if you watch big lebowski or uh, inherent vice uh you you see the traces of it you're like oh they're drawn on that so i would well inherent vice it. makes sense it's paul thomas anderson who was previously the biggest fan of altman now he's the biggest fan of kubrick so uh, okay so speaking of recommendations we are going to get into our uh weekly recommendations these are all arbitrary we just come up with something off the top of our head and um Rachel, let's go with you first. What's your weekly recommendation this week? Sure. I'm going with Murder by Death. It's a comedy from the 70s, and it's a parody of all the 20th century detectives. So you've got, you know, Miss Marple. You've got a Humphrey Bogart parody. You've got Nick and Nora Charles from The Thin Men. But they're all played by the most unbelievably stacked cast you've ever seen. And it's completely wacky and off the wall, even for the 70s. And it's well worth a look. Cool. Sounds good to me. Uh, James, what is your pick for the week? I'm going to go with Suspiria. Uh, original or remake? The original. Right on. I can attest to that. Actually, watch both while you're at it. I thought the new one was actually pretty decent. <laughs> Fair enough. But I picked Suspiria primarily because I love how stylish this film is in every single aspect. Yeah. What about that Goblin soundtrack? That That's uh, something you dig as well. Oh, the soundtrack is so good. That soundtrack is amazing. I got to listen to that sometime soon by itself because I, I like listening to film scores but yeah just everything it has everything that i really like about the 70s i mean the 70s had the best looking film stocks ever i will never not say that which that's also the final technicolor film of all time so it went oh, over the that? bang yes oh, it is oh that's oh that's amazing yeah just like just the way the colors pop and also just the blood of italian horror is always it's kind of funny but at the same time how <laughs> vibrant and red it is and it's just spraying everywhere and it's argento so it's obviously like over the top and then just the set design is amazing it's like they really get a good job building those sets awesome well uh yeah i'm, I'm all that for that suspiria love um i'm gonna go quickly i'm gonna pick uh this one i only watched last year i'm gonna go with a kurosawa film but i'm gonna go with one that i think a lot of people are realizing is one of his best and it has nothing to do with period pieces or, or, you know, being a samurai film, it's high and low, which I think is like such an absolutely incredible domestic thriller, which, uh, first off parasite, which I brought up earlier, uh, is heavily inspired by once I watched this, cause I was doing my research for all of my top 100 films last year. I was like, why is nobody bringing up that this is one of the best things he's ever done? And this is Kurosawa, who's done like Yojimbo, Ikiru, Seven Samurai, 
a, a billion things that are like amazing, but this is like one of his top five. I highly recommend High and Low. It's one of the great thrillers of its time. But now we end off with with our guests. So use this opportunity to plug anything that you want, anything that's coming up. Feel free to do the the Golden State Warriors podcast if you must, and uh, give us give us your weekly <laughs> recommendation, your your first and hopefully not your last. Uh, no, yeah, definitely. Hopefully not my last. Hopefully I'll be back uh, one of these days. But um, the what I would recommend, I just rewatched it. It's uh, available on Hulu. It's streaming on Hulu right now. Uh, it is the 2000 film uh, adaptation of Wonder Boys, oh, yeah. the Michael Shabon novel. Uh, I. I really love it. Um, I think it's one of the best, you know, kind of films about a college, films about a writer. Uh, the, oh, you're talking about soundtrack. The soundtrack is is great. It's uh, kind of a, you know, it's a Robbie, Robert Downey Jr. is in it at a really interesting moment. Um, it's you know, uh, Michael Douglas and Francis McDormand, and they're both they have sort of this great this great chemistry, and they're working well, really well together. Uh, it's directed by Curtis Hansen, who directed uh, yeah, L.A. Confidential. Uh, but it's 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 just it's this you know it's this not you know it's maybe not one you would uh you know a film that really i don't know pops out jumps out you think oh this movie about a you know it's about a writer who's got you know it's sort of struggling to write its follow-up novel and but it's just it's so and it's you know so and i think it it gets a lot um right about being around a lot you know writers in an english department there are things where it really kind of uh, hits close to home where i'm like oh yeah i sort of saw that or i i knew stuff you know stuff like that and so it's for all those reasons it's one you know i'd recommend it it's something that you know it's kind of light and it's enjoyable but uh yeah it's definitely one i just rewatched it uh pretty recently uh and it you know it's it's really kind of doesn't disappoint cool and uh feel free to plug away um, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and plug my, my, uh, Twitter account, which is at T H B V I L A C Q U A, uh, because there, I'm going to have some things coming up, uh, in the future in terms of writing, uh, and that's going to be the place to kind of, to find out about them or talk about them. It's still things that are, I'm still kind of coming together, uh, thing it's gonna uh, writing about a little bit about sort of uh, literature more uh, you know I'm kind of d- uh, dabbling in a lot of contemporary fiction and I'm trying to sort of find some stuff to write about and some other things as well but uh, if you just you know in addition to all of my uh, salient uh, points about any number of things especially basketball uh, no those points aren't very good but um uh, that's where you can find out about it. So I'd say just go over to my Twitter account uh, and eventually I'll be dropping, you know, some inter- either news about riding or riding itself in there. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. And uh, we've got a bit of news of our own. Next week uh, is going to be our Oscars roundtable. So it's going to be uh, James, Rachel, myself talking about the Academy Awards. We've gone through every single nomination. And we watched every single uh, film, gonna... almost. <laughs> <laughs> we, we watched every single film, even the really, really bad ones. And the hard to find ones. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> which I wish was Hillbilly Elegy. I could be like, oops, I can't watch it because I can't find it. But no, of course, it was like Netflix or something. So anyway, thank you again. And uh, we're looking ahead to 
fantastic first edition of the Oscars Roundtable. So that was the K-Cut. We are now going into the L-Cut. 